But we're getting close to finishing up our sermon series here. It's called His Suffering and Triumph. And we've been journeying through John since 2017. And it's been a glorious thing for me. And I couldn't think of a better a book to open up uh, our pastoral uh, career with. And uh, we're at John 20, 19 through 31. And next week we'll be at John 21. We'll cover the whole chapter. And God willing, conclude the whole uh, series next week. And Jesus is done suffering. On the cross, he suffered. And Jesus declared, it is finished, right? And so last week, Pastor Paul preached clearly how Jesus defeated the grave, defeated sin, and gave us ultimate hope. And so today, Jesus, all right, is preparing his disciples. There's 11 disciples. One walked away. One was not a true disciple. That was Judas. There's 11 disciples He's preparing right now to carry on the mission, something that Sabrina is doing, something that we're all doing right now. And the first thing that needed to, to receive was that he actually resurrected from the grave. He needed to know that. He needed to know what Paul preached on last week. The disciples needed to know what Paul preached on last week. And so today, Jesus shows himself and shows that he did rise from the grave. And then the, our Lord gives us a case study, too, in how the Lord uh, directs us to handle the Great Commission. So if you're able to, we're talking about purpose today. If you're able to turn to John 20 and rise, if you're able to and read along with me, I'll be reading out the NASB version. John 20, 19 through 31. Jesus' first meeting with the, with the disciples. Okay, and... And he clearly tells us what our purpose in life is about as Christians. So let's read John 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in my hands and the imprints, uh, in his hands, the imprints of the nails and put my fingers into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands, reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing thomas answered and said to him my lord and my god jesus said to him because you have seen me have you believed blessed are they who did not see and yet believe verse 30 therefore many other signs jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book verse 31 but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
I pray your word will be clear to us. I pray we will have a clear picture of your son and what he has called us to be about. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please have a seat. And uh, happy Father's Day. And, and that goes without saying, fathers, fathers, thank you for faithfully serving your homes. Faith, thank you for serving our church family. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for everyone being here today and, uh, and, and watching today. I know no matter what our experiences with our fathers have been, we wouldn't be here without our fathers. We do know this. And so uh, I appreciate what Pastor Kenny encourages us to do to uh, be grateful to and to uh, make a call, send a text, write a letter. If our father isn't around, just thank God for our fathers even. So and that's a great exhortation by uh, Pastor Kenny. We'll have a special application to the sermon at the end of the sermon here about fathers. So, but before that, I just wanted to kind of talk about my dad a little bit. And uh, some of us call our dads, hey, dad, hey, daddy. I don't know if we call our, our, our dad's father, hey father, you know, but our family, we call, it, we call it my dad papa. I don't know if it's a Japanese thing. I don't know, that's, just what, we, that's what we do. Uh, and all the grandkids, uh, my kids as well, they call my brothers and myself papa as well. That's what we want it to be called. You know, this is what we asked for. This is, this is kind of setting the culture of our family. This is what we do, we've done. And, and about my papa, my dad, I'm grateful. You know, he's worked hard, and I know many of our fathers have. He hasn't been the perfect dad. I know this, and, you know, he and I have talked about this, but he's exactly what I needed. You know, he's certainly exactly what I needed. I have a lot of respect for him, great respect for him. And uh, I'm grateful to be here in Southern California because, uh, you know, his health hasn't been good. He's, he's been battling prostate cancer. He, a while back, he had a hemorrhage in his brain, so he had to get brain surgery. His body is getting weaker. His memory is on and off at times. So I'm grateful that we're able to be around him. And he's 79 years old now. Okay, it's just next January will be 80. And everything's not what it used to be. You know, I've always seen him as a strong man, a physical man, loves sports, he's very active. Um, this is how I always remember him. Today is not like that. To help him get in and out of the truck, um, help him do other things. This is what the role of sons do. And so I'm grateful that I'm able to be around. And 2020 has been a very clarifying year for him. Just like I imagine it's been very clarifying for many of us, you know, whether you're at home or in, in person today, it's been very clarifying. And um, he said something to me. I just want to share this with him. I talked to him. He goes, that's fine. <laughs> so he said it was fine. So I did, he said this to me. Haruki, that's my Japanese name. Okay, Haruki, I want to do something before I go to heaven. That's what he said. Recently he became a believer. He was baptized recently. So this is what he said. And he goes, and so he asked me, what can I do? And that's, that's the urgency I hear in his voice, and, and I'm sure many of us are thinking that too. And this is what the topic of the sermon is about. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? What am I meant to do? What will be pleasing to our Lord when we see him? What will cause him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful slave. You did exactly what I charged you to do. In order to hit that target, brothers and sisters, we need to be crystal clear. Even in the heart of my father, who's barely become a believer, who's still learning uh, the Bible and all the truths, 
even he, there's a stirring in his heart to want to know. I want to do something impactful for the Lord before I go. And so it's just like my dad became a believer, the disciples truly became believers when they seen the resurrected Lord in John 20 right here. And so the, the disciples were gathered in the upper room. The Bible says in the NASB that the door was shut. Some translations says the door was locked. Some commentators believe the door was locked and barred. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jews coming to arrest them and doing the same thing that they did to their Lord, to our Lord. So they, they, the, the disciples, then there are 10 of them because Judas isn't there. He's no longer around. And then there, Thomas was someplace else. There was 10 of them in this room. There, it was locked. It was a very, very tenuous time. I don't know what was happening. And it was the evening as Pastor Paul preached on, on the morning of the first Lord's Day. This is the evening of the first Lord's Day. This is that same day. And this word for evening is probably uh, 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 dusk, right when it's starting to get dark, right when the sun is, about, is, is going down. And this is what happens. And then the Lord just all of a sudden just shows up all of a sudden in their midst. You know, he, he, evidently the Lord has a different type of body now. I mean, he says, hey, look, look at my hands, look at my side, look, it's me. Luke 24, 42 and 43 says that he ate broiled fish with the disciples. So he had some kind of physical body, though. He wasn't just some kind of ghost or some kind of phantom that just showed up or some kind of hologram that just showed up. This is Jesus in the flesh, but a completely different body now. Perhaps he was able to just go right through the doors. Perhaps. But it, evidently, he appeared to them. And the Bible says that he was around, walked the face of the earth for another 40 days before rising and ascending back to the Father. He wasn't a ghost. His body was there. His disciples could touch him and feel him. And what are his first words? What was his first words? He says, peace be with you. That's what he says. Jesus says, peace be with you. Because he knew the disciples were unsettled. Like, what's going on? They were fearful. In essence, just like as Pastor Paul preached, when they realized that the Lord had been bodily resurrected, they didn't have to work fear anymore. They didn't have to live in that world anymore. Jesus says, peace be with you. In other words, because of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, Jesus is saying, it is all good. It's all good. You have to fret anymore. Of course you have concerns. Of course there's challenges in this world. But at the end of the day, it's all good. And my papa, my dad says, recently to me, you know, as, as things are kind of getting difficult for him, and I, I knew there was, a, there was an uneasiness to him. Like I said, it's, it's a big drop-off from what he's been used to. And for me, too, it's funny. But he goes, you know what? I know I'm going to heaven. Peace be with you. Right? At the end of the day, is that not what matters, right? That's, what, that's why we're gathered here on, online and in person. And so the disciples, they get a brand new status. They are no longer having to worry about the Jews or the Romans and all that stuff. doesn't mean that those concerns weren't there, but they didn't have to fear. They didn't have to be locked up in a room anymore. They could come out. They could come out and, and live life with confidence. Peace be with you, our Lord said. And so, John 20, verse 19, 
to, to verse 23 is Jesus commissions them. He gives them purpose. He clarifies what they're about. So this is John's version, the Gospel of John's version of the Great Commission. I know we're more, perhaps some of us have been more familiar with Matthew's version, which before he leaves, Jesus ascends back into heaven. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 says this. This is probably the more known Great Commission, but it says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority had been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is right before Jesus ascends. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is what Jesus does. This is his introductory talk with the disciples. First of all, settle down, peace be with you. It's all good. After you got grasped that, uh, your new status, let me tell you what your role is. This is what Jesus goes right into equipping and preparing the disciples to evangelize the world. Verse 21, Jesus says, I send you out. As the Father has sent me, I send you out. Just like Matthew 28 says, go, go, go. Disciples, go. Right here, Jesus, I'm sending you out to the world, to the mission field, to all the craziness that's out there. Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, Rome was a lot harsher than it is America. It was harsh. There was all kinds of social issues. There was a lot of hurting. There was all kinds of stuff going on. There was a lot of opposition to the gospel. Jesus says, go. Go. Get out of this room. You don't have to stay locked up in your go. Go. And But it, just like uh, in Matthew 20, it's low, I am with you to, even to the end of age. In, in verse 22, Jesus, it says that Jesus breathed on them and it says this, receive the Holy Spirit. How is God with you and I during this time and forevermore? The Holy Spirit. Now right here, this is more symbolic. The Holy Spirit doesn't indwell the, the, the disciples or us until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But Jesus is symbolically, emblematically breathing on him. And this is significant because this is a, very, a symbolic creative act. In Genesis 2 verse 7, as God, Jesus, formed Adam out of the dust, what does he do to give him life? He breathes into them. Boom, he has physical life. Even in Ezekiel 37, 5, God commands the prophet to breathe on the dry, dead bones to raise up Israel, to give them spiritual life. So breathing in from God is a creative act. And so Jesus is basically pointing to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and says that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you new life. You're not on low, I am with you to the end of age. And in verse 23, Jesus talks about sin. And he goes, I address sin. He goes, hey, forget. Let me read this for you so we're not misunderstanding. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Jesus calls for the disciples to address sin. This is it. This is the issue that God calls us to deal with. Sin in our lives and sin in the lives of others. What is sin? Let's just get really back to the basics. What is sin? I know we talk about this word at times. 
And the word picture, as my discipler, one of my disciples in Seattle described it, it's an archery term, basically missing the mark. I'm an archer, and I, it, the goal is to hit the bullseye every single time. Boom, boom. And so sin means to miss the mark. I didn't hit the bullseye. So in our lives, are we missing the mark of God's perfect standard? Every time you said an unkind word, every time you've been angry in an unrighteous way, every time you thought something bad, we've missed the mark. All right? And, that, and that's, what, that's what Jesus is calling the disciples to address. Address the sin in people's lives. Tell them how to be forgiven. Give them confidence if they are forgiven before God. I remember talking to my dad about just trying to share the gospel with him for several years. And for a while, he goes, you know what? I think I'll be okay. Right? Perhaps you could relate to that. I'm not such a bad person. I think I'm going to be all right. And when I die, I think, you know, I've done some good things. I've been pretty generous. I haven't cheated people out too much. You know, I think I'll be okay. This is kind of like my dad's mind. I will be okay. I go, no, you're not. <laughs> Lovingly, no, you're not. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses. Bible says that we're children of wrath. Ephesians 2, I'm talking about. If you want to look it up, Ephesians chapter 2. We were children of wrath. What does that mean? That means God was ready to pour out his holy wrath on every single sinner. We're children of wrath, the Bible says. I said, I said Papa, no, you're not going to be okay. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust what the Bible says. This is not my words. This is God's word. You're not going to be okay. So this is the issue. The, the, the disciples get commissioned. This is the great commission according to John. You know, and obviously Jesus repeats this a couple times in Matthew and then in, in Acts. So there's other commissionings that happen. But this is the theme of what our Lord wants us to cover in terms of what is our purpose? What do we need to address before we see our Lord someday. We're called to address sin, brothers and sisters. This is the greatest need. We could fix a lot of social things. We could, get, we could adjust laws and adjust a lot of things now. Set up regulations, appoint the right people that you hope that's going to be our savior in certain areas. But in the end, we're all sinners. In the end, no law could fix anything. It's the sin in our hearts that needs to be addressed. That's the issue. So the ten, when I mean with ten, the ten disciples were given new life, right? And now the, the ten were also given new purpose. What a moment that must have been, right? <laughs> that was a monumental gathering. That was huge. But then in verse 24, as we go through their narrative, it says, but Thomas, comma. <laughs> it's as if like, whoa, but where is Thomas. You know, it says, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Talk about FOMO. That's one meeting you don't want to miss, right? I mean, if you want, you want fear of missing out, that is one appointment you do not want to miss. I don't know what Thomas was doing. You could ask me. No commentators really know. What was he doing? Was he distraught? Was he kind of hanging out with himself? Was he doing something else? Was he trying to think of a new line of work? I have no idea. All we know is that he missed this critical meeting. Critical. And so you don't want to miss these type of meetings, you know. 
You know, you don't want to miss these type of meetings. And so, who's Thomas? Who's Thomas? I want to make sure we talk about him a little bit. Um, he's one of the disciples, one of the 12, original 12 disciples. The Bible says uh, Didymus, he was called Didymus. Didymus means twin, so he, he had a twin, all right? Twin brother, twin sister, I'm not sure, but he had a twin. And in our contemporary culture, we've, we've been calling him Doubting Thomas because, as you can see in the text, he doubts what the, what the disciples tell him about Jesus. But only got John's gospel kind of chronicles Thomas. In the other gospels, they just list him as one of the disciples. So you can see where John is very much kind of building up characters and kind of graciously allows us to maybe identify with some of these people. I like the way John MacArthur described Thomas in his commentary. I'm going to read this, uh, this excerpt from his commentary. Thomas, this is according to John MacArthur, Thomas was the eternal pessimist. Like Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh stories, he was a melancholy person with an uncanny knack for finding the dark, in cl the dark cloud in every silver lining. Thomas first appears in John's Gospel in connection with the story of the raising of Lazarus, aghast that Jesus planned to return to the vicinity of Jer Jerusalem where the Jews had recently tried to kill him out of John 11.8. Thomas exclaims fatalistically, all right, let us also go so that we may die with him. Right? So, verse, that was verse 16 of uh, John 11. But Thomas's pessimism would, should not be allowed to obscure his courage. Though he thought the situation was hopeless, he nonetheless was willing to lay his life on the line for the Lord. His love for Jesus was so strong that he would have preferred to die with him rather than to be separated from him. Do you know people like that? who maybe guard themselves and, 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 and maybe expect the worst so they will never be disappointed. Maybe that's what Thomas was like, right? Expect the worst and then you'll never be disappointed. If, you, if your expectations are high, you're always going to be let down. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that. I've heard people say that to me before, and I'll say, man, that's not a good way to think, right? Why? And so Thomas perhaps was thinking this. is like, nah, there's no way he resurrected. I don't want to be disappointed, I know I, I've journeyed with you men for three years, and I love you guys, I trust you guys, but nah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I don't, know, I don't know why Thomas wasn't there. I don't know why he was there, but I think our Lord graciously allows this to be documented for us because I believe we give a case study here why and how to handle the Great Commission. God shows us how to handle the Great Commission here. Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan Christian, he's been laboring to kind of uh, uh, start a new ministry called Biblical Counseling, and, and, and there's a group, the initial group that he's gathered. And, uh, so, brother, thank you for laboring on this. And, and so he sometimes, as he teaches us what biblical counseling looks and feels like, he gives us some case studies, you know, it could be a suffering Sally, you know, these made-up names. And we go through a scenario, and, and how should you handle this, you know? And we get to practice on one another at times, and he gives us homework like that to do. But I think this is a case study right here. This is a case study that God gives us to how to handle the Great Commission. Verse 25, let's, look, let's draw our eyes to verse 25. So the other disciples are saying to him, this is the first crack at it now. This is the first crack at 
all ten disciples be able to be obedient to the Great Commission here. We have seen the Lord. There it is. Thomas was not there, but they were looking to evangelize and to teach Thomas that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. This is what they do here. We have seen the Lord. They're being faithful. Where do they start? They start at home base. They didn't look to get out of that room right away. They didn't look to travel, let's go travel to Rome or let's go travel to northern Israel. No, no, they're waiting to take care of home base. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Bible shows us. Let's get our house in order. Whether you're a father of your home, whether it's a circle of friends that you have right now, who has God given you to evangelize or to edify? Do that right now. They start with Thomas. They didn't go out. They started with Thomas. This is a great picture of our Lord showing us where we should start. Start with home base first. And what is, is, is Thomas' response here? Continue on, verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas wants and demands physical, hard physical evidence. Otherwise, he declares, I will not believe. Otherwise, I will not believe. Well, I mean, what can the ten disciples do at this point? What can they do at this point? Well, I'll tell you what they did. Simply wait. Just wait. Simply wait. Simply wait. Have you been evangelizing people and and, and sharing the gospel, calling people to repentance for quite some time? And you, you just, no, I don't believe. I will not believe. Simply wait. Be faithful. I remember talking to my papa about this and for 20 years about Christ, about two decades worth, when I became a believer till into adulthood. And, and something significant happened to him. And, and we moved up to Seattle in 2010, coached up there. And in 2011, the next year after that season, uh, got a job offer to return back home to Southern California, coach for the University of Southern California again. And I was like, wow, this is great. This is great. That's where I want to be. I want to be back home. So I fly back to visit with the, 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 the USC folks. And then I was talking to my dad. And hey, Papa, guess what? They want me to come back. Isn't that great? We, we could be near each other again. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, I get to witness to him more in person, kind of talk to him. And this is all my mind. This is, this is a big motivating factor. And what he shared to me in our kitchen table at, at home, it was at night. It was just he and I, and he just begging me, please go back to Seattle. I'm like, what? What do you mean? I mean, you got to understand. So for my dad... His pride and joy was like the fact that his son, one of his sons was coaching in the NFL. That was a big deal to him. That was a big deal to, me, to him, you know, and he's a big sports guy, and it, it was pretty 
it was something else for him. So he's he begging me, please go back to Seattle. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I said, well. And at that time, he was telling me that he just got a diagnosis with prostate cancer. I'm like, no, I, I wanted to be here. The career is great, but I'd rather be here. Right? But he's begging me, go, go. And <laughs> however you want to take this, but one of his bargaining chips that he said is, if you go back to Seattle, I promise I'll commit to going to church, right? <laughs> and I'm like, man, this guy knows me, right? And so he did. He did. Faithfully, he went. He went to his church for faithfully, and, and, and he did. So I was like, all right. So anyway, went back to Seattle and just waited. I just realized, you know what? If he, my dad knows enough to, to be saved. It's up to the Lord. And, and that's what I did. I waited and prayed. And this is what happens for the disciples. It didn't take 20 years for the disciples, but verse 26 is after eight days, after eight days, including that Sunday, all right, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. So the next Lord's Day, seven days plus that Sunday makes it the next Lord's Day again, next Sunday. And Thomas, this time Thomas is there with the other disciples. And what happens? Jesus came the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. This is almost like a repeat of the following Sunday. The doors are locked, all that stuff. Jesus uh, miraculously shows up again, and Jesus says the same thing, peace be with you. This time, he's, he's aiming for Thomas. And it was interesting how our Lord addresses Thomas's very concern. Jesus met him exactly where he was at. And in verse 27, he says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hand. Reach here with your hand and put it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. He addressed his very issue. It just shows that Jesus knows everything. And this also shows Jesus' divine character is gracious. He's giving Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. Touch my hand inside. Let your unbelief turn into belief. Isn't our Lord gracious? I think that's something to pray for. Please, as you're evangelizing people, please, Lord, meet them in what they need. Meet them where they're at. Open their eyes to what they need to see. Because my dad had a lot of ton of questions. He was bringing a lot of baggage from what he learned from back in the old country. There was a lot there. I couldn't answer every single thing. I said, Lord, just show up. Have them believe in the way that he needs to understand and I want to say something about Thomas. You know, and we could be hard on Thomas. We even call him Doubting Thomas, right? Uh, but he ended up having genuine faith. Verse 28 says, Thomas answered, said to him, My Lord and my God. He believed. There's something to be said about genuine belief. I think in our eagerness to see people come to faith, and I'm guilty of this. I want this. To, I want everyone I talk to about Christ to come to faith. I do want that. But in our own zeal, maybe we'll settle for some kind of easy believism. We'll just settle for kind of like, you know, they, got, they don't quite understand the gospel, but you know what? They acknowledge God and Jesus. Maybe that's good enough. You don't want that. You don't want a superficial faith for yourself or anybody else. Thomas was bold enough to say, I don't believe, for whatever reason, whether it's pessimism or that's just how he was, 
I don't know. But he said, I don't believe. I need to see hard facts. I need to under- believe this to, to declare Jesus as my Lord and my God. But Jesus met him where he was at. Think about it. If you love your friend or family member so much, just know that God loves them that much more, in particular if he's called to be into the family someday. Just know that. And that's where I started learning just to trust in the Lord, just, all right, Lord, help me not to be so anxious, you know, especially with people that you just desperately want to come to faith. I mean, my dad used to say stuff like, you know, how do, you can't force me to believe. <laughs> you know, it's like, I was like, oh, yeah? <laughs> but I was very anxious. I was very eager. It's like, maybe if I say it this way, say it that way, hit them up, keep, keep pounding them with it. Right? I'm like, all right, you know what? I think I've made it clear what it is. At least I have, and perhaps others will come alongside him. But ultimately, God, you need to show up. God, you need to show up. And so Thomas makes the highest confession of faith, my Lord and my God. He says Jesus is God. This is legit. You don't want Thomas to say, all right, I believe, and be very superficial. This is the type of belief that sent Thomas out to, as tradition have it, to India, to unknown place, India. This is where the church history says that he went. And he ended up dying a martyr. Evidently, he believed, my Lord and my God lives You want real faith. You want genuine, deep, deep, deep faith. And right here, I believe the Lord transitions to us today. This is a special word, special meeting for the the original 11 disciples here. But verse 29, I believe that the Lord gives us very much a, a word for us. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Question mark. But here it is. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. That's us. I've never seen Jesus with my eyes. You haven't seen Jesus with your eyes, but you heard about Jesus, and Jesus calls us blessed. Jesus says, there's a special blessing for us who believe through the word that was taught to you and me. We believe because we heard about Jesus. This is how it is. And verse 30 and 31 here gives us our marching orders here. And John tells us that the reason why he wrote the Gospel of John. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In in, in John 21, 25, it says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, hear this now, I suppose that even the world itself will not contain the books that would be written. There's so many more things that Jesus did. And John carefully selected what to put in and carefully omitted other things. And my preaching mentors say, it's what you leave out of the sermon that makes the sermon good. Right? There's so much. But John left out so much out of the gospel so that he drives home one idea. And what idea is this? Verse 31. But these have been written. Why, John? Why did you write these things? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the anointed one, the savior of the world. This is why John wrote John, the gospel of John. This is why we live. And that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is divine, Jesus is God himself. This is why John wrote, so that we will believe these two facts about Jesus, that he's the Messiah, he is the Christ, he's the Savior of the world. And second, that he is God, my Lord and my God, Thomas said. This is why John wrote the Gospel of John. And in verse 23, I want to go back a little bit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Sin is the issue, brothers and sisters, that we need to address. And is this verse saying that we, could, we have the authority to forgive sins? Of course not. Of course not. God is the only one. But in essence, what this is saying, on the authority of God's word, we able to declare, Papa, you are headed through heaven. Because of your true belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured that you are headed towards heaven. I'm able to exhort this to him and to, to encourage him. Yes, you are going to heaven because you genuinely believe this. Now, if, as, as John 3.18 says, if you reject the Son, you will receive judgment. Therefore, we're, all, we're also able to say, no, Papa, if you, don't reject, if you don't receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you will not be okay. That's not on my own authority that's not on my own understanding of God. It's just what the Bible says. It's what God says. So when verse 23 says you could declare people forgiven, it's because they tell you that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. That's the essence. So that by believing, John says, you may have life in his name. Yes, and you will be headed towards heaven. Isn't this a powerful declaration? Is this not what we're called to be about? So you may ask, Pastor, what is our purpose? Then make it clear. Make it clear. We need to address sin with the message of the gospel. That's the purpose of why we exist, brothers and sisters, because we will not be able to do this on the other side of eternity. Jesus will judge us on our faithfulness because he clearly has made it clear. This is what we're charged to do. And if you faithfully did it, he'll say, well done, good and faithful slave. I'm your master. You obeyed me. Good job. So in order to hear good job, we need to know what we need to be faithful to. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We need to tell people about Christ. This is what this is about. So you, is this the purpose of our lives? Yes, in no unclear terms. This is what we're called to do. This is just like the 10 disciples were called to do. This is what they did to Thomas. We've seen the risen Lord. We've seen him. Gets me excited. I was reading a sermon by a, a man, a preacher named James Montgomery Boyce, and maybe this will be helpful. He called it the ABCs of coming to Christ. ABCs, ABC. A, accept Jesus' teaching. Accept it. Accept the biblical claims that he is God and he is Lord and Savior. Accept that we are sinners and that we need forgiveness. 
through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. B, believe. Believe. Notice how Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He didn't say the Lord and the God. He said, my Lord, my God. I claim you as my Lord, my God. I come under your lordship. You are my creator. You are my God, Thomas is saying. Belief, personal. You have been defined by your new belief in Christ. And see, commit. Do you commit to following him? Do you commit to obeying the Great Commission? Is he the one that you're obeying right now? Is he, does he define your culture? Does he define your, your finances? Does he define your education? Does he define your identity? Does he define your purpose? As you choose what university you want to go to, is that all filtered in through how is the Lord going to use me to spread the gospel? As you take that next job, is this, are you defined by how is the Lord going to advance the gospel through my new job? As you join certain groups, certain uh, athletic groups, are you trying to reach out to the people, the parents of this athletic group? Is that what defines your mind that consumes you? Are you possessed with this idea of, I need to tell as many people about Jesus Christ before I go to heaven? Now, I want to... I'm going to give a special application, okay, for fathers, if that's okay. Turn with me, 1 Corinthians 16. This is our men's retreat uh, verse theme. And uh, f- turn with me, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. As you're turning there, the Bible says that in Proverbs 17, 6, the glory of children is our fathers, meaning... Our fathers are the ones who have the greatest level of influence in children's lives and even spiritual children's lives. These are the ones that we look up to. These are the ones that we care what they think about us. I cared what my dad thought about even my coaching. I still care. I still care what he thinks. I get it. Certain roles are kind of maybe shifted, but I still, deep in my heart of hearts, care absolutely. There's a lot of him in me. Absolutely, there's a lot of him that will be passed on to my own kids. So fathers, let's embrace our influence. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you be done in love. What does this mean? Based on what we heard right now, what is a father's purpose? What is a father's purpose? Young men, as you bring, someday perhaps the Lord will call you to be a father. Let's figure it out right now so that you'll be prepared. It says, be on the alert. Be on the alert for what, pastor? Be on the alert. Be on guard for any knowledge that's set up against the knowledge of Christ. Everyone that you're called to take care of, whether in your home unit or other people that God's giving you to be a spiritual father to, be on the guard for what is coming into my children's minds and hearts that could disrupt their knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're on guard like a soldier looking for enemies coming in through their door. That means you're aware of what's coming in through your door. You're aware of who, who your friends are talking to. You're aware of the media that they take in through their devices. You're absolutely aware of what's going on. Yes, that's being a good father. Yes, that's okay. You have that authority. Second thing is this. Stand firm in the faith. 
That means Jesus Christ grips your heart. He consumes you. You're possessed by who Jesus is. You love him so much. You're very clear who Jesus is. Just like Thomas made a very clear declaration, my Lord and my God. You're very clear Jesus is my God. And you know the scriptures so that you know how he is and who he is. Stand firm in the faith. That means you're, you have your feet planted in the ground. I'm not moving off of this position. This truth dominates me. I'm going to die and go to the grave with this. This is what you're saying. Thomas was ready to die. He went to the grave with this truth. Verse, uh, the next point, act like men, the Bible says right here. That means you act courageously. Men are courageous. Men are courageous because the truth of who Christ is just consumes you. Not courageous on your own, but you just know, like, Lord Jesus, the convictions that you birthed in me are giving me incredible supernatural courage. The, thing, the fourth thing says, be strong. Be strong. Men are strong. Men are abusive. Men are strong. Men are protectors. Men are providers. Men are leaders. Men point the way when it's, when it's against current. Men are able to shine the light in a dark, dark, darkening world, ever-darkening world. Our children, our people who see us need that assurance that you are taking this seriously, that you know who Christ is, that you are consumed with Christ, that you are a man that wants to hear, well done, good and faithful slave someday, and nothing else matters. This is not a time for weak men. Weak men are able to lead weak people. This is a time for strong men leading strong people in a very hard and difficult time. Adversity is something that's hard. We're living in a hard time right now. But leaders look at this as an opportunity to lead. Men who are strong and courageous, grounded in the truth who Christ is, are looking at and relishing this opportunity to lead well and to love well. And the final point is this, let all you be done in love. That means, men, we love our people well. We care for our people. We, we seek to understand our people. We're empathetic with our people. We're motivated at our love for Christ to be strong and courageous. We're motivated at our love for our people to be strong and courageous. And what is all the purpose for doing all this? So that your people will love Jesus and declare the same thing that Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And men, we need to do this for our church family. This is, what, this is what's going to be what keeps our church family strong. Men need to rise up. Men need to be able to be strong and courageous and stand firm in the faith of who Jesus Christ is. You will be a man consumed with who God is, possessed with who he is. Because all, you just, that's all I want to do. I'm dominated by who Jesus is. This is what men are to be like. Just to finish up this, the message here, you know what I told my, uh, my papa when he asked me this? Haruki, I want to do something before I go to heaven. What, what can I do? This is what I told him. Start in your relationships. Encourage mom to love Christ more. What relationships do you have? Work on those relationships. Work on leading these people to Christ. And I asked him, let me use your testimony. You know, I, I get it. He's not a preacher. He doesn't, you know, he's, he barely, 
gets in and out of the house. You know, it, it, it's hard. But let me use your testimony. He goes, okay. Right? Testimony is powerful. And, and he said it was okay, and I was grateful for that. Because I said, I think your testimony is going to help encourage people to take seriously what their purpose is. And I see some young people in the sanctuary, right? I see some older people. I see, see people my, my age. It's not too late. It's not too late to fulfill your purpose. Whatever God's given you to do right now, do it to advance the message of Christ. And also, you're not too young. I see students, I see elementary kids right now. We're all wearing their masks, except for me. <laughs> you're not too young. Can you imagine how powerfully you could be used if sooner you figure this out? Can you imagine that? Where you're like, wow, I just already understand this from an early age. Can you imagine how God could use you to grow the kingdom in the future to come? It's not too early. It's not too early to fulfill your purpose. So what is our purpose? It's to make Jesus more famous. Bottom line, we want to tell more people about Christ, and we want to be like Sabrina. We want to be people like that overseas. But we're all missionaries here in our neighborhoods right now. This is what we're called to do. This is our purpose. Okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for the opportunity to speak on this message that you gave to the disciples. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to exhort the brotherhood and sisterhood, Lord. I thank you for the unique opportunity to speak to our fathers, those of us who have homes with children, those of us who have children who are moved out of the home, those of us who are spiritual fathers to many. I thank you for these faithful men, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would allow us to just be faithful to the purpose of the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples, Lord, so that more people will say, my Lord and my God. I thank you for this privilege, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you continue to grow Evergreen SGV to be gospel-minded, to be discipleship-minded. I thank you for the opportunity to have Discipleship Sundays. And I pray, Lord, that we will be praying for our overseas missionaries and our missionaries who live here, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we will embrace our own identity and purpose as missionaries, ambassadors for you, Lord. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.